Be sure to stay after the credits for our patented post-credit sequence or outtakes. They're a hoot. You're listening to the Ebony Covering Black America Podcast Network. Hi, de hi, de ho, you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. My name is Ron Dawson. By day, I own and run a content marketing agency and host a filmmaking podcast. By night, I write personal essays where I call white people on their privilege, evangelicals on their hypocrisy, and hold a mirror up to the black community. Every other week, I'm joined by my black BFFs, JD, an independent filmmaker, and his wife, Yolanda, a media executive and academy member with 20 plus years of experience in film and TV production. In every episode, we explore themes related to race and religion, politics and pop culture. Shade will be thrown, jokes are made, and provocative conversations will be had. Welcome to Dungeons and Durags, one black nerd's epic podcast of self-discovery and racial identity. I know you thought I'd never send it, but usually it takes me a long time, but eventually I get around to doing things I guess I should do. What you're hearing is a recording of my mother, Sandra, made about 45 years ago. She was a single mom, mother of two nappy-headed little black boys, ages seven and five. She had packed up everything she could fit into her yellow VW bug and drove cross-country from Philadelphia, PA, to Los Angeles, where she got a new job as a nurse at Cedar sinai Medical Center known as Hospital to the Stars. This recording was a tape she made for my father, who was living in New Jersey. She would periodically send him these tapes to give him an update on this. He found it in his basement a few years ago, digitized it, and sent it to me. And all I can say is, wow, what a treasure trove. This recording provided me with some very interesting insights. At one point, my mother talks about my daily schedule and she mentions how I get home from school around 2.30, then watch television. I remember those days. Lost in Space was my favorite show. Full forward thrust. We've got to try to build up enough inertial drive to swing over it. Full forward thrust. It's where I developed one of my earliest childhood crushes. It was on Penny, played by Angela Cartwright. You could argue that this was the start of my lifelong affinity for television and media, as well as my crush for white girls on TV. Mom, what do you suppose my hair would look like if I put it on top like this? Well, now, what brought that on? Well, I mean, we do have to grow up sometime, don't we? I also realized that my penchant to correct people, a really bad habit I have to force myself not to do, can be seen as early as when I was seven. When Brandon was singing on that Spanish song, he missed the word, uh, um, um, a number. It, go, it really goes like this. Uno, dos, tres, cuatro, cinco, seis, siete, ocho, nueve, diez. Isn't it kind of funny, though, and indicative of how so much of our personality as an adult is ingrained at the earliest stages of our lives? Now, half of this 30-minute tape, I think, is me talking. And about five or six times I say this is the last thing I'm going to say, but then I just keep on talking and keep on coming back. And 
I'm watching Fossil Space, and I'll tell you one more thing. Yet another early indicator of something that would rear its ugly head in the future. My inability to know when just to shut the frack up. It's quite possible that this podcast is a prime example of that. As I mentioned on the last episode, I go back and forth on my decision about documenting this journey of my life. You know, am I sharing too much info? Will I just end up embarrassing myself? It definitely strikes fear. But whenever I feel that fear creeping up, I remember a great quote I read from Stephen Pressfield, author of The War of Art. It's a book that many creatives deem as a must-read for anyone who fancies themselves an artist. In it, Pressfield writes, Fear is good. Remember our rule of thumb. The more scared we are of a worker calling, the more sure we can be that we have to do it. So, I press on. Sharing these stories, interviews, and conversations in blind faith that the end result will be a work of good. Not just for me, but for others out there. Reflecting on that tape made by my mother, I can't help but think of her. She passed away way too early back in 2008, and now 13 years later, I still can't talk about her too long without breaking down, so I hope I can get through this. But my mother was a paragon of a strong black woman, raising two kids on her own for so long, by my account, at least seven years before she remarried to my stepdad when I was 13. She drove over 3,000 miles to give her and her kids a better life. I remember her working late nights at the hospital and taking us with her where my brother and I would sleep under her desk while she made the night shift hospital rounds. She bought her first two homes by herself before remarrying. After her death, I remember reading or hearing some story of how she was arrested during the civil rights era at some kind of protest. If you see old pictures of my mom from the 60s, she was a dark-skinned, beautiful queen with a big smile and a bigger afro. And during the years when she was a single mom, she made sure that my brother and I stayed black. She enrolled us in this private school called Omawali Ujama. It was an African-American school in the foothills of Altadena, California. And it was expressly designed to teach us kids about African culture. The word Omawali is from Nigeria, and it's Yoruba for the lost child has returned home. And Ujamaa is the fourth of the seven principles of Kwanzaa and means cooperative economics. Thinking back on it now, my experience at that school was so black. Like every morning we'd greet the Mwalimu, which is Swahili for teacher, with an African dance. Black food, black teachers, black discipline, and don't let Principal Walimu Hudari catch you mouthing off to one of the teachers. You got your ass beat like quick. And they didn't use belts at this school, no, no. They used fucking thick ass rulers. And you get seven swats in your ass. One for each of the seven principles of Kwanzaa is my guess. Even the grade levels were black. Instead of numbers, each grade was named after an African tribe. I was in the Ashanti grade aka fourth grade. My little brother was a Zulu. The highest grade in the class, seventh grade, was called Watusi. It's funny how young minds think, but I just assumed all schools did this. Imagine my surprise when I left Omawali and found out in my next school that the fifth grade was just, well, the fifth grade, and not Yoruba. 
And they taught us so many words in Swahili. For the longest time, I thought the word semester <laughs> was a Swahili word because Omawali was the first place I had ever heard it. I remember learning about Nigerian and Egyptian gods and thinking that they must be lieutenants or something like that to the one main god. I had no concept of monotheism or polytheism at the time. If you were an adult and you taught me about some god, I believed it. And you know that by this time, being the son of a Baptist mother who had strict Southern Baptist parents in North Carolina, that I was a card-carrying Christian, despite my young age. Now, if you sense a tinge of cynicism in my voice, it's not by accident. But we'll have plenty of episodes to get into how faith and Christianity play into all of this. I could say that my current conflict with American Christianity and racial identity actually was foreshadowed all the way back during my days at Omawali. Naturally, the school celebrated Kwanzaa instead of Christmas. But at home, my mom, brother, and I celebrated Christmas. Now, I don't know if it was expressly forbidden or something at Omawali for parents to celebrate Christmas, but I distinctly remember us having to hide the fact that we did. As an adult, my guess is that there was only so much African culture a Southern Baptist mama was going to take. I share this story with you fine people because I find it important to set the stage of my life. To explore the effect that media and social surroundings have on the development of young people of color. How did someone with such a black mother and such a black childhood end up with such a white adulthood? As we start the journey of making this podcast, I got JD and Yolanda on the phone to talk about how we all met and our hopes for the show. Our friendship goes all the way back to 1995, when JD and I worked at the same company, and he recruited his friends from USC Film School to help me shoot a short film. The entire cast and crew were black. But as we're prone to do, we got sidetracked by some other topic. This particular distraction was JD sharing his suspicions around the Facebook outage that happened in early October of this year, and my disagreement of his theory. What was the point you were making? I apologize for interrupting. The point I'm making is that it seems mighty suspicious mm-hmm. that there are these three entities that happen to be run umbrella entity or corporation above them. Mm-hmm. And so for them just to go out and not, not Google or other places, it just seems... Well, there's something wrong with their infrastructure. I, to me, it's, it seems just as plausible as someone could have hacked. And I think there would probably be a lot of reasons for them not to fess up to that if it were the case. I guess the thing I would Can say. Can we talk that, about why we got on the phone? Yeah, but let me just say. <laughs> yeah, why did we get up on this phone? The only thing I would say to that is I don't necessarily disagree with what you're saying, but I disagree with the reasons behind it. Like the fact. Okay. That's all. Like, just because okay, it didn't yeah. happen to Google and some other place. That <laughs> so, J.D., not- you're right. I just want to tell you, J.D., you're right, and I agree with you, but you're wrong at the same time. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> I think I'm having flashbacks to that tape I made back when I was seven. Anyway, back to the conversation. That's not Thanks exactly for your two cents, J.D. Let's move on. I agree with everything you said, but you suck and your brilliance wrong. Let's move on. That's <laughs> not my back, brother. That's not exactly what I was saying. Ooh, but- this is the beginning of a wonderful relationship. <laughs> Not exactly what I was saying, but, you know, if you want to take it mm, that but way. But close, pretty close, pretty close to the mark. Yeah, yeah. Do you remember, like, our first, not the way we first met, but, like, how we first interacted? Like, the thing, the project we worked on, the very first project we ever worked on together. Just Friends? 
Yeah, my short film, Just Friends. And yeah. what I found interesting about that experience <coughs> was, well, for me, it was, it was excluding like family gatherings. It was the first time that I had ever hung out and done something with a bunch of black folk since like elementary school. So, because the whole casting, except for Mark, the whole casting crew is black. And right. um, so I thought that was interesting. But one thing I found interesting, I think I write about this in the book. Was, yeah, you do. I was I was going to say, I think I know where this is going because yeah. there's a chapter in the book. Yeah. Yeah. How everyone kept bagging and capping on each other. <laughs> and I remember I, I wasn't I was the butt of a number of jokes because of my yeah. cross oh, we colors were, oh attire. Yeah. Yeah. Although what year was that? No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Here's I don't the denial. Think... Here comes the denial on the argumentation. I love it. I, I love it. I don't so, think... JD, you're 100% wrong, but you're right at the same time. <laughs> I don't think cross colors was totally out of fashion in 95. Which is it's what, kind of like... Which is the year we were shooting. Yeah. And you were making it seem like I was... Oh, yeah. Because you on Ron major... came up rocking cross colors hard. He has some cross colors shorts, the cross color socks, the cross color t-shirt. <laughs> Like, it wasn't a like t-shirt. It was a cross-color Spike Lee jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was my yeah, filmmaking was shirt. Mm -hmm. From 87. Got it, got it. That's cool. No, it was 87. I, yeah, I'm just saying, I don't think cross-colors was completely... It wasn't. It, you know, because it's like when you drop a, a stone oh my in a gosh. pool and there's ripples that go out. Such so a there's tangent. ripples for things, yes. All right, it, what are we talking about? Here's the things. point. Here's the point. Because technically, cross colors isn't totally out now. If you want to get technical about it, Ron, right, I'm sure you still got some now, cross colors in your okay. closet right now. Now we're going off. Here's the point. Technically, so there was all of this capping and bagging going on, playing the dozens or what, whatever you want to call it. And I think it's fair to say that is a an aspect of you know um, African American culture. I wouldn't necessarily say it's unique, but it's something that is indicative of when black folk get together. And it's almost like one of the things I write about is how I ironically I felt loved by the group because I was the butt of jokes and I would have been worried if I wasn't teased. And there seems to be this aspect of like black people where we just love cutting up on one another. And that sort of I was thinking about it when I was thinking about like this whole diss track um, topic and how how mm. prevalent how prevalent that is in the community. Like it's like I was doing my research on the episode and like I found this YouTube channel which I talk about. They had like the top fifty diss tracks and there's probably even more than fifty. And so you just have this. It's almost like ingrained. I don't know if it's like it's ingrained within. African-American culture, this, you know, playing in the dozens, capping on each other, bagging on each other, it, but in a way where it's all love. It, well, it's okay. I, obviously, in the case of some of these rappers, it's not really love. But Yeah, like, I mean, I, I think it's a, it might be adjacent, it might be in the neighborhood. Yes. But it's not, because there's also the crab and barrel phenomenon with black culture as well. And I the think what? that's crabs in a barrel. barrel. Crabs in a barrel? 
What's that? Yeah. yeah. Are you familiar with you? Are you? Oh my God! Or... What's that? Crabs nigga, in a this barrel. Turns in, if this turns into an online conversation <laughs> again, nigga, Ron, we about to revoke your black card. This black card has not been. Dude, yeah, we returned. haven't even issued it yet. Yeah, we have not issued it yet. We're still. <laughs> The jury's still out on whether we should. Please give you. tell me. You Are know you that shitting reference. me? Please tell me you're joking. Please tell me this is for a conversation sake. Oh my god, this nigga does not has never heard of crabs in a barrel. Have you not heard of crabs in a oh my barrel? God. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my god! This never stops getting peeled back. Are you crazy? And tell me you're bullshitting. <laughs> tell me you're bullshitting right now. Good lord, Jesus. Is we it need like to start from the beginning? Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> we need to take you back. I need to, the to call. Room. I need to call to the ancestors <laughs> to give me help and strength. I know. It just some spiritual guidance right now, because this brother. Good dude. Lord Jesus in heaven, is bless like, his heart. Is it like shooting oh fish in Wait, a fishbowl? No. Oh <laughs> oh Don't be shooting fish in a barrel. First of all, <laughs> okay. get your metaphors correct. But oh my god! No. Oh my god! Oh. Jesus. Oh, uh, wow. is, oh I'm in, can I back out of this podcast deal? I'm like really legitimately embarrassed to be on this show right now. <laughs> you have to be kidding. Are you just fucking around for content? No, he's no. not. No. He's not. Okay. He doesn't know crabs Ooh, in a barrel. Dude, okay. So, Ron, here's the thing. It's getting hot. If you put a bunch of crabs... If you put a bunch of crabs in, in a, a barrel, barrel, they fight each other. They try and climb no. out. They're oh. trying to get out. Okay. And the one that gets up highest, the ones from below will reach up and pull them down. So they yes, never get out okay. of the barrel. Okay, it's self-destructive. It? So right, what I'm I saying is there's metaphor. a there's so a the colloquialism adage. is crabs in a barrel mm-hmm. where people won't people will pull other people down even though they might be saving themselves. Like, it's it's right. like they're fighting themselves. But it's called crabs in a barrel. Okay, so what does that have to do with whether or not I have a black card? The fact that you've never heard that expression, use a black culture, is similar to, what does online mean? Uh, <laughs> so, yes. so are you saying I'm looking that, online, uh, and I don't s- see anything online about are you, online. Are you saying specifically that crabs in barrel as Grown out of the black American diaspora. It's yes. Don't yes. ask, it's, no, brother. Just yeah. don't ask. Yeah. Just trust Stop. us. I, yeah. just, I, just I'm trusting trust. you. No, no. I think I think it can apply to other races and cultures, but it's yes. extremely common to be referred to in the black culture Community, because it happens yes. so often. It's like mm-hmm. a brother will Even get up. Even white to, people use it, Ron. Yeah. Even white people okay. use it to talk about black people. Yes. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. You're okay. behind. Like, instead of, no, instead no, of trying to pledge this a black only, fraternity, this you is, need to go back to, to, to college and just pledge a, a, a African-American HBCU. studies class. Yeah. Go to HBCU and pledge an African-American you, studies uh, class. Is that where you first learned about Crabs and Barrow? No. No. Right. I knew about that shit from elementary school. I heard my white mother talking about it. Okay. And my black kinfolk around me. So I, okay, I mean, so back to the back to topic. the back to the topic at hand, as uh, at hand. Snoop would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, let me just take this time to interject. One of the topics that frequently rears its ugly head in my head-to-head debate slash discussions with my good friend here is the apparent level of egregiousness that any ignorance I have of a particular aspect of quote unquote black culture. 
and I use my aforementioned lack of knowledge about the term online as a barometer. Now, if you heard the last episode, you'll recall that I didn't know what that term meant. When you get on, as soon as you get online, they start just full out punching you in the chest as hard as they can. And you you just get online, what does that mean? Huh? When you get online, like computer online? Oh my god. <laughs> 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 the conversation is over. Just know this, Ron. Just know this. You are very ill-prepared. Oh my god. Oh my god. This conversation is over. Are you mean? Oh my god. 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 Oh my now, I fully and wholly get that being a black man in America and not knowing what the term online means is pretty fucking embarrassing. It's bad. I get it. I can accept that. But sometimes I feel like JD puts all this shit on the same level, you know? Like, I don't think not being familiar with the term crabs in a barrel is really as bad as all that they're making it out to be. Uh, email me and let me know what you think. Emails at the end of the episode. So, as I want to do, I wanted to get some kind of proof that I'm either right or not as wrong as I'm made to be. Again, maybe something I need to deal with and process with a therapist. Anyway, so that to that end, I invited on the show a fellow black man who has a very similar experience to mine, my friend and fellow podcaster, Frederick Van Johnson. Frederick is a marketing expert in the tech world and a visual artist. He's a photographer. He hosts the popular photography podcast, This Week in Photo. And for much of his adult life, he's been one of the few or only brothers in the workplace as well. I had JD join my conversation with Frederick, and we got into the aforementioned crabs in a barrel controversy. And it starts with me introducing JD and setting the context for the podcast as a way for me to explore these themes of black culture and reconnecting with it. The podcast show is just about exploring a lot of the same type of themes. JD and Yolanda are my co-hosts and collaborators on it because um, they've you know, as I describe on the show and in the book, they're sort of like the 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 Dre and the Rainbow to my junior. Or <laughs> if I don't, if you're if you're a fan of no, Black-ish. no, it would be not junior, but what's a Ray junior. Rainbow? No, Rainbow's brother. I haven't seen too many episodes with her brother. He's yet. My, you know my man from uh, Hamilton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he he's very hippy dippy. You know, oh, he's from the it. Bay Area. He's basically Rainbow, but. Didn't, yeah, didn't marry, but, junior, uh, but Junior, like Junior's just, but Junior's clueless. He's kind of dingy, which I will give you that. I will give you fit that dingy role. But I'm just saying that. <laughs> but he's also, <laughs> but, but he's a not lot of, washed out. He's not washed out. In the early, in the early seasons, a lot of the he's just not hood. He's not hood, but no, he's not washed no, out. No, because there was that he's one. Around, ep- he's around dude, his granddad. He's around his grandma. You see him around that. black functions and whatnot. He's not washed that. out. But there's episodes like the episode where he wanted to play. Um, <laughs> there was that sport, that sport oh. with the stick, lacrosse, uh, lacrosse, lacrosse, where he wanted to join the lacrosse team. And Dre oh, okay, <laughs> all right. Yeah. Uh, and I then, mean, he's like, he's like, hey, when in Rome, well, you know, he's and like, then, oh, no, and, oh. and then there was that episode where they go to the white church, the white hipster church, and then he gets I up and, he, and he's singing I with them on the stage, <laughs> and they're singing how sweet <laughs> it is to be loved by yeah. you. <laughs> I do remember that one. That oh wow. Okay. Um. So anyway, JD, your line are. are sort of like the Fresh Prince to my Carlton. That's another metaphor that I use. Got it. Um, Got it. And so 
you know, every now and then we have these conversations where I say something and and they're kind of surprised that I either don't understand some aspect of black culture. Right. Uh, like as of yesterday, we had one of those. <laughs> all right. All right. Going to bring it up. Bring it up. That's I'm, why I brought it up. Bring it up. Oh, I, get, I need wait, to wait, hear hold on, hold on. Wait. Before you say it, I will, get, I will put $10 on it right now that he will understand and I've heard this phrase. I will. Okay. Okay. Fact, I'll, okay. Do but I here, put 100 on it? Should I put 100 on it, Yolanda? No. Here's I'll the thing. I put 100 on it. Wow. Here's, Uh-oh, it's pressure. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not no. Trust me, bro. Trust me. Trust me. It's no pressure at all. Trust but here, me. Okay. But JD. You'll be like, what? Here's the thing. $10, Ron. $10 on <laughs> it right now. No. I, we're going to make it a friendly bet. I don't want to shame you like that. I don't want to shame you like that. We're going to make it a friendly bet just so we can keep the, just the conversation a, moving. Just a friendly but, bet. But here's the thing. Oh, now we got now we got all kind of explanations going thing, on. Well, stipulations uh, happening, <laughs> benchmarks and shit. No, let him just, just ask the question, Ron. Ask him if he heard Frank. If it did not, we're available by law. <laughs> I I will ask the question, but there's right. one follow up question that's really important, and okay. that is which is the level of connectivity between the term in question and its lost. connection lost. to the black community. Because I just think all right. Dude, anyway, you already, so, man, you so, are really struggling. You're all right, now. Frederick, 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 what does the term <laughs> crabs in a barrel mean to you? Wait, 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 oh. no, no, no. Frederick, yes. have you ever heard that term? Have no. you ever heard no. that term? I've used that term in talk before. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thank you, thank you, thank you. Ron had never heard that term. We said, we said crabs in a barrel. I said, what are you talking about? What? That's like, nigga. Wow. Wow. Second so I like to find the term. Right. He said he no. used the phrase, yo. I should have bet $100. I should have bet $1,000. I want Listen. Bitcoin. I want to bet some Bitcoin. All right. See, here's, I told you what, one Bitcoin. Yeah. Here's, this, here's the second. Here's this follow-up question. And I think this is more apropos. This will try. This is Ron trying to fix it and no. curve the conversation no. now. Curve no. it. Oh. Curve it back around no. so he no. has all kind of logistical reasons why he could have never heard that phrase. Right. Listen, listen. This is the follow-up question. <laughs> I like wait, how he breaks it down to I like how he breaks it down. He's like, listen, listen, this is the which follow-up question. Which is question. more this is more apropos to the topic of this podcast. Not whether or not I've heard the term, okay? No, the, right. the, right. Here's the issue. The issue is the level of black egregiousness for not knowing the term. JD is putting it on a level. All right, so I didn't know what the term online meant, which is. <laughs> well, do you know what be that specific. means? Be, and when it comes to black fraternities, Frederick, do you know what online you, means? You just gave it away now. If he no, didn't, I didn't. Know. you we were talking oh. about black fraternities, and you don't know what it was. We had a whole conversation about it. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Do you know what we, had, okay. we had an hour long conversation yes. about black fraternities, and then you and then we said online, like, what does that mean? See, Ron, I'm on your side because I don't know. Uh, yes. Uh oh. <laughs> you both are catching side eye. I UCSB, side eye. Which, which actually, hold on. Which actually, wait, where did you go to? Wait, where did you go to school? UC Santa Barbara. UC Santa Barbara. That makes sense. That makes yeah. Okay, I totally get it. I totally get it. They might not even have a black frat up there at Santa Barbara. Which actually, but wait, 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 time out, time out. Wait, wait. If you if you go to a school where there's no black frat, then that's understandable. Ron went to Berkeley. They have fraternities there. They got no. black fraternities. Oh, okay. now All who's right. now who's backtracking? No, no, no. I'm just saying. Now I'm who's just backtracking? Saying, if you ask somebody, hey, have you ever seen an airplane and never been to an airport before? That's understandable. But, but if you stand in an airport and you don't know what an airplane is, you get yeah. excited. 
Eventually, Frederick shared his story, and the similarities to mine are uncanny. I had a feeling that you and I probably had similar situations. You know, Almost identical. Yeah. yeah, in terms of, you know, being black. Similar, though. Being similar. Yeah, similar, yeah. though. Qualify similar. that, Frederick. Like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah, wait, similar. Don't, so don't, the be, first... don't be tying that uh, albatross around my neck just because you got one. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Let, let me qualify it. I'll give you the 30,000 foot view yes. of my timeline, right? Yeah, so, yes. born in Flint, Michigan, right? Okay. And, then, <laughs> and then I moved to Chicago, west side of Chicago. That's where a lot of my family is, on the west side of Chicago. Um, left the west side of Chicago, an all-black school, and went to, in my, in my junior year, and then went to an all-white school in the suburbs, for reasons, right? <laughs> so now I'm out there, and then when I when when I you know leave home, I go in the military and go to school at the same time at UCSB. So oh, okay. during so during I'm military, I'm active duty military while I'm going to school. Oh, nice. Okay. I so I was Air Force, yeah, at Vandenberg Air Force Base, driving okay. back and forth to school, right? Right. So and then you fast forward out of that into Silicon Valley, where I you know basically what brought me to where we are now. Mercury News, then Yahoo, then Apple, then Adobe, and throughout all these corporate experiences in Mark, I'm in marketing, by the way, all these experiences, you can refer to me as the black guy in marketing. That's who I was. Yes. You know? yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> one, one grain of pepper in the salt shaker. That's what, right. That was me in the meetings, right? Every, right. All right. the way through, all the way through. So, you know, I get it. So I'm kind of you know, growing up black, right? Throughout, you know, I got two brothers and two sisters. So growing up through all that and then having to pivot with the military kind of being the point of inflection of, oh, you need to, you need to understand these other cultures and they don't understand yours and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, and being stationed to different places around the world, that kind of put it all together. And now I talk to people all the time on the podcast from different backgrounds and you have to kind of right. be able to connect on a human level with everybody versus, you know, having it bounce off melanin or something. So, right, right. Yeah. So that's, that's kind of where I am. So half yeah. and half, right. I'm, 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 I'm a weird kind of concoction of, of experiences well, with different cultures. Well, your experience is actually almost identical to mine because up until junior high, I had a very black experience. Like I went to an all black school in elementary school, Omawali Ujama. And then I grew up for the most part in the Altadena and Pasadena area. I went to schools that were heavily integrated, played mm -hmm. with black kids in the streets. And it was when I went to South Pasadena, which is predominantly white and Asian school where the, that's where the rift from, from black people happened for me and then in college it just became more so right it just uh, mm -hmm. it just pardon yeah. the pun pardon the pun <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. in case you didn't hear that jd's comment was that it snowballed i'll give him that that was that was pretty funny he's quick on his feet but eventually i get to the real issue i wanted to have frederick on the show knowing how much of his life paralleled mine i just had to ask him this question was there a point where, so so for me, I had this inflection point in 2016 where I felt like I wanted to be more active and really reconnecting. Was there anything similar like that for you, or do you feel like you always were still connected enough um, where that kind of uh, milestone wasn't necessary? Does that make yeah, sense? 
It does make sense. Yeah. And no, I never had a, to date, right. Haven't had a point of inflection where I felt like I was so far right. I needed to swing back left or vice versa. Right. You Mm -hmm. know, you know, not to use the political kind of seasoning on that. Um, But yeah, I never had that point, but I, what I will say is since, since, you know, around the time when I had to start being able to integrate with and speak with people that are white, black, Asian, Indian, whatever, since that point, and, you know, even throughout my corporate life, I've always kind of felt like a little bit in limbo, right? So mm. you're, you're never fully authentic, period, right? Because when you're right. around black people, you're not fully, you don't feel fully authentic because there's gaps in the in the DNA structure, you know, the timeline right. DNA structure. And then when you're integrated with other people, you're hanging out at a cocktail party with a bunch of white people or Asian people or a mix, whatever, right. you're still the you're still the black guy. Right. right. So right. there's that you never have a okay, I'm you know, I'm I'm at home. There's never you're always right. kind of a stranger or a tolerated, a tolerated visitor. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> I mean, me growing up mixed, I totally get that because it was like I had the, the, the crazy thing is, is that I had both worlds and I never left both worlds. Like I spent time in South Central at my grandmother's house and then the, the, the nice part of Long Beach with my white family. So my, my, on my, my father's side, they live in South Central, whatever. And then uh, and then I'd be in Long Beach. I'd be with the white family. So but I had a really progressive family that I was with. So it wasn't yeah. like. I had the racist kind of crazy white family. So it was, it was, but you know, being around white folks, it kind of let me be the fly on the wall kind of like, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of get that experience. Um, and what, what, what listened to you, Frederick, I was going to ask you, um, it, it sounded like you were describing like code switching. Like when you would be at certain mm-hmm. places, you'd have like code switch. So it's like, okay, now I'm around my, my black brethren. I could kind of let my guard down a little bit. I know, I know what this is. I know how to operate in this world. But then when yeah. you got white folks, you knew how to operate in that world too. But you just had to kind of code switch it up because you were the black guy for marketing or whatever. Just, exactly, yeah. exactly. And it's different in like in the military. There's it's code switching, but it's not binary. It's not yeah. black or white. It, it there's a military version in there uh, too, where you you got to turn the dial over that way, and that can uh-huh. be a combination. It gets it's it gets complex, right, three dimensional, right? Because right? now. I'm hanging out with my black Air Force friends versus my non-black Air Force friends right. and, you know, or officers or whatever. So right, there's right, all, right, these, right. all these different shades. Comes a Rubik's Cube. Right, right. right. It's, <laughs> right. Simpler, it's simpler in the real world. Right, but, right. Know, it's different, see, different when you put it in the my, my hypothesis is that I suspect Ron didn't have to code switch, though. I think that's the difference. Mm-hmm. I think that, Ron, you were so inundated being in South Pass. Mm-hmm. And, and don't let me put words in your mouth. I'm yeah. just this, the, this is what I gleaned from your experience is that it was more like a situation where, oh, this is my world. This is I these are the people I operate with. Um, you know, I you know, you weren't around black people frequently You're at that other. point. I'm and gonna just, be yeah, other permanently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. You were yeah. and that was just your thing where you didn't have much code switching going on. Totally. Ferg, I had a follow up question. Um yeah. how do you how did you and how do you, if it's change or evolve, deal with issues of either like microaggressions from like non-black friends who may say or do stupid stuff that may be insensitive all the way up to people who maybe outright say like racist comments or whatnot. Do you, have you came into that in the past? 
I'm sh- yeah, so yeah, like, you, I, of course, of course yeah, definitely you know. the microaggressions. I mean, um, yeah, and that's on a daily how, basis. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how do you? It, but when it comes from people who you consider close to you, how have you handled that? Yeah, that's tough, and mm-hmm. then, there's no one answer, right? There's it's right. not it's not binary. It depends on your relationship with that person, um, right. if they're doing it egregiously or innocently. Right. Mm. Is there malice behind what they're doing or is it just stupidity or ignorance? Right. Right. So all that goes into the formula of how you respond to them. So if they're if they're coming at me with some sort of, you know, tongue in cheek racist thing, you know, or, you know, then I'm going to deal with them. I'm going to I'll be more confrontational from a condescending standpoint, you know, just just letting them know how I feel. We ain't going to fight about this, but I'm going to let you know that you're being an idiot. Right, right now, and cool. this is yeah, that's not cool. If you're ignorant, I'll either let it go, you know, or just like you know what, I'm not, I'm not the teacher of the world, I, and it's not my job to educate you, and you right. don't affect me, so I'm just mm-hmm. gonna, right. I'm it's just exhausting. Gonna right. Yeah, it's exhausting. Like every now, let me. Okay, here's another person that needs education <laughs> on why not to do. Like, right. I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to waste. Why right. do I need to waste my time in wealth building minutes? You know, schooling somebody else that had yeah. parents that didn't teach them. Right. 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 So you, it's a case by case basis there. But then on the, I'll tell you, you know, 2016 and the black light of racism, like you were talking about with DJ and mm-hmm. Kevin Swan and all those people, I call that the nice, the Trump powered black light of racism. <laughs> <laughs> it's a black light in an right. old hotel You've room. seen all kinds of stuff come up on the mattress. Like, Woo, I've I've never heard that metaphor. Mattress like of it. America. Yeah, that's body a great outlines, analogy. Jackson Pollock paintings on the wall. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Outlines on the floor, body outlines and everything. Exactly. <laughs> but it was revealing. My dad used to say, my dad just passed away this past year. Oh, I'm sorry to, to hear that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. But he, he used to say the best kinds of racists are the ones that drive by in a pickup truck yelling yeah. inward out of the car, right? right. Because yeah. They are telling you who they are and where, they're, where they exactly. stand. Exactly. It's the ones that smile in your face. And then deny your loan or rental application while smiling in your face. Those are the ones that are nuclear that can torpedo your life. Right. So, yeah. So it it depends, Ron. It depends on it's situational. Right. It depends on who. And it it also depends on how I'm feeling at the time. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) If I I run into that situation (laughs) after playing my Tupac playlist. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And the right. night before watching, you know, Django Unchained or something. Right. Like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a different level. It's the rhyme ruler, the mind of the master, the yeah. prom poet designed for disaster. One of the ironies in my life as it relates to all of this is the fact that on one hand, my time at South Pasadena High School was indeed where I take the path most white. But it was also that place where one of my closest friends, who was more like a cousin to me, was the comedian Chris Spencer. I said $1,500 for an $800,000 house. He's like, yes. I said, brother, give me two. <laughs> now let me explain something to y'all. If your note is 7000 and you're paying 1500 that 5500 that you're not paying is going to the back of your loan. This is called negative amortization. I've been doing this since 04. 
My $800,000 loan, you know much I owe? $1.7 billion. Chris is a comedian and an award-winning television writer and producer. He's co-creator of shows like Real Husbands of Hollywood, writer on numerous TV shows, including the Emmys, and hosts umpteen black comedy specials. Chris literally knows everyone in black Hollywood. His Instagram feed is chock full of photos of him playing golf with Anthony Anderson, Don Cheadle, Cedric the Entertainer, and the like. He recently wrote and directed his first feature, Back on the Strip, starring Faison Love, J.B. Smoove, Tiffany Haddish, Kevin Hart, Bill Bellamy, and a bunch of other comics. He and his wife Vanessa, who co-produced the film with him, co-host a funny relationship show on Kevin Hart's series XM channel called Date Night with Chris and Vanessa. He is just living the dream, man. An amazing life. And as luck would have it, his Jamaican mom was old friends with my Jamaican stepdad. And when Chris's family moved from Inglewood, California to South Pasadena, I can say it literally changed the direction of my life. Last year, I was able to connect with him and catch up. In fact, he was kind enough to give me, JD, and Yolanda some feedback on a pitch we have been developing for an animated version of my book. More on that later in the season. And in our first meeting with him, wouldn't you know it, like life imitating art in the process of him giving us feedback on a show about a black dude trying to reconnect with his blackness, the black dude upon which the show is based comically reveals his ongoing lack of knowledge about black vernacular. In this particular part of the pitch, Chris asked me about a picture of this uh, white girl that I took to my junior prom. Uh, this is a girl that Chris remembers because he was a senior at the time. And he mentions that she looks cold-blooded. <laughs> and uh, this is what transpired. They're more ignorant than racist. Yeah. Right. And yeah. you're almost teaching them as you're learning, too. Yes. No, that's a good point. I so that could be... By the way, who was that at, at the prom? Sabra? That was Sabra, yeah. Fuck, she was cold. <laughs> <laughs> I she was her. cold? Cold. Uh, cold is fine, Ron. Good looking. <laughs> Look online, online. I, I tried to say an old black word. Right, yeah. That's, that's something our parents said. Well, cold, wait, cold usually means you know like what, you wait, cold-blooded. Do you know what fine is? Cold-blooded is fine. That's not what I remember fine, cold-blooded. Fine is pretty. I know what fine means, thank you very much. Cold, listen, you gotta remember, in black culture, everything negative is positive. <laughs> no, but when cold, I, cold, you cold meant like when you were cold blooded, like that you were mean. They also meant like a cold blooded killer. Yes, yeah, right. Yeah, but that you. girl is cold, right? That girl is cold blooded. Okay. <laughs> we have different. You know, you can use bitch a couple different ways. You can use motherfucker different ways. Mm-hmm. Look at that motherfucker right there. Who is that <laughs> motherfucker? Yeah, baby, you know what I mean? So, I'll make a note of that. Yeah, that was Sabra. I remember, I, listen, that's so fucking funny. I remember you, I remember us walking home from school one time and I said something about stop being, I don't know if you remember this. I said, stop being scary, right? Oh, like, yes, I remember this. And I was like, what do you mean scary? I said, don't be scared of that motherfucker. And you're like, but that's not what scary means. Scary. <laughs> I can hear the conversation. <laughs> I already know. I, I already know the conversation. That's not how scary means. Like, um, <laughs> and I had to explain to you, like, scary cat. Yeah, but scary is like haunted. And I was like, oh. <laughs> 
Ron, we gotta put that in the book. Oh my god, I already know the conversation. Yeah, I, I already it. hear it. I, hear I remember hear the whole conversation. I remember saying stall me out to you. Like when oh Ray was god. hitting me, stall me out, stall me out. And you're like, what? <laughs> and stall me out was like, you know, leave me alone. And you were like, yeah. isn't that what a car does? <laughs> But Ron, here's what's crazy, and I guess, you know, we haven't fucking connected in 30 years or whatever. I never thought of you as whitewashed. Yeah. That's you know what I mean? I just, yeah. but, then, but then again, I wasn't with you at college, and as I see, you look like, you know, Eminem and a bowl of rice with all these fucking white people, so. <laughs> right. I don't know who that guy became. Can I just say, I love how a talented comics mind works. Chris saying that I look like an Eminem in a bowl of rice when referring to a photo of me and a bunch of white and Asian people was pretty fucking hilarious. It boggles my mind how they come up with this stuff. It was also kind of cool hearing how he remembered me. As a matter of fact, it reminds me of the very first time I connected with him that summer and we were reminiscing about our time together at South Pasadena High School. What's the best way I can describe Chris in high school? I think it's like this. Imagine Eddie Murphy from the heyday of the 80s from films like Trading Places and Beverly Hills Cop. Hilarious, charming, quick on his feet, and tall with a killer smile. And let me just tell you, there ain't no stronger aphrodisiac in an all-white school than a tall, good-looking, charming, and funny black man. And for some reason, I never quite understood how I got him to hang out with me. This nerdy, Buster Brown, shoe-wearing kid who had an affinity for backpacks. After years of not seeing each other, I had an opportunity to grab some time in his busy life to catch up on old times. And I was finally able to ask him what I've wanted for so many years. I seriously count like my meeting you as like literally changing my life. Like not to make your head big or anything, but when I think about like the path my life was on up to that point and the things I was doing and hanging out with you and just like getting the vibe, like, like your level of confidence and the way you carried yourself and whatnot, and I, re and I write about this in the book. I distinctly, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but remember we had open campus during lunch and we could yeah. go to lunch. And I remember, you know, that's when I started hanging with you and you were going out. And I remember you telling me like to put my backpack in the locker because you're like, you're like I don't know if you remember this, but you're like, man, you can't be taking that. You, like you got to put that shit away, man. Because I look so nerdy carrying this backpack. You know, like you I were, think you're like, the first person I see to put both shoulders, yeah. put both arms. <laughs> on. <laughs> oh, is that what that I didn't know what that strap was for. <laughs> you found a use for it. <laughs> That's right. I always had this theory because uh -huh. I, for the life of me, I cannot, I, I, I couldn't imagine like why you would like let let me hang with you or you know what i mean like i always wondered like if you're a mom i always called your mom aunt dorothy if she like told you <laughs> told you to hang with oh, that dude, listen you think you looked up to me i looked up to you first of all i always envied you know think this is weird yeah. how fucking ripped you were are you sure you think about me it wasn't brandon <laughs> <laughs> i mean it was <laughs> you, you didn't work out, but you were right. naturally fucking cut. Oh yeah, from I was on the wrestling team. That's wrestling. probably from the, so yeah, yeah. I always envied that. You were always so fucking bright. Yeah. And you always thought I was fucking funny. So that all all those things lead up to. And you're like the little brother I didn't have. Wow. Wow. You know man. I mean? Yeah, yeah. So that's it that's was trip. I wasn't like you were a tag along. It was like, yo, it's a motherfucker almost the same age as me. I get to hang out with every day. 
That was cool. Am I cussing too much for your your white podcast? <laughs> There's a lot of cussing in this podcast. Hearing Chris share what he really thought about me was such a trip. It was this profound revelation that causes me to see my high school years so differently. And it reminds me of a time when I posted a chapter from my book in the Facebook group of my high school class. It was a chapter about my time at South Pass. And one of my old classmates commented on how she had looked up to me and thought of me as one of the popular kids in school. Now, this totally blew my mind. I kind of felt like over the years during my time at South Pass when I first went there uh, in the seventh grade that I successfully worked my way up the popularity totem pole from the bottom to about the middle, maybe between the middle and the top. I had become a junior and senior class president, so it wasn't like I was a nobody. But this woman who commented was one of the cheerleaders. Attractive, funny, also in leadership, still looks great to this day. She was, in my mind, the quintessential paragon of popularity. Then another woman commented how she thought of us, and again, this was a person who I believed was head and shoulders more popular than me. I recently had lunch with an old high school buddy, a tall, blonde, water polo stud who was undoubtedly near the top, if not at the top, of that popularity pole. But he wasn't just popular at our school. I knew for a fact that he went to the prom of every other high school in our league. And I thought for sure he was sleeping with every one of those girls. Nothing could have been further from the truth. He was he was actually Mormon at the time, and parents loved having their teen girls go with him because he was tall, handsome, on the water polo team, didn't drink, and didn't have sex. Boy, did I have him totally pegged wrong. Now, this is what we do, isn't it? How many of us go through life with low self-esteem or negative images of ourselves that no one puts on our shoulders but us. We think more highly of others, lowly of ourselves, and we base so many personal and life decisions on that self-analysis. How different would so many of our lives be if we had the courage to share with others what we really know or feel in the moment when we feel them, instead of them coming out 30 and 40 years later on a podcast, in a therapy session, or at a high school reunion? I can't help but wonder if a lot of the angst and trepidation I have around how black I am or am not is rooted in mischaracterized or outright mistaken thoughts. Earlier in the show, Frederick and I talked about being the only black person in our work environments. And speaking of which, a few days ago, I was checking out the website of a former employer of mine. They were in the news and I was reading up on how the company was evolving. And I ain't gonna lie, it's kind of like when you check out the Facebook page of an ex to see if they're having as much fun as you. Because my life has actually been hugely blessed since leaving and there's that tiny part of me that hopes that they're not, but they're still bawling. Side note. Another lesson I've learned in life is that whenever you base your happiness on someone else's unhappiness, it's a recipe for disappointment and disillusionment. Anyway, back to the point. I noticed on their culture page, there was a group shot that had me in it. Now, given that my departure from this establishment was janky as all hell, I was surprised to see me there. 
And as I clicked through all the other images on that site, I could see why that photo was used. It was literally the only photo on their entire culture page with a black person. I have to admit, it got me kind of riled up. Not just because of how my departure went down, but because I know this company sings from the mountaintops about its diversity. I felt used and it, it pissed me off. I was seconds away from blasting them on social media about their hypocrisy. And prior to all the hard lessons I learned on how to control my ADHD, I just might have done that. But I exercised constraint, consulted some friends, JD and Yolanda included, and instead sent a private email to the HR manager. They thankfully replaced the image quickly, this time with an image that prominently showed one of their Asian and Latina employees. Good for them. Now, I wouldn't say that I was triggered, but it was something akin to that. It took me back to all the group photos from my adulthood where I was the only black face in a sea of white and Asian faces. Church photos, work photos, photos from my days dancing in a swing dance troupe. There was this one photo from my fraternity days at UC Berkeley, and in a group of about 50 or so people, there I am, smack dab in the middle. I was the president of the chapter at the time. And you guessed it, I was the only brother in the photo. So many years of being the only one who looks like me. It really spoke to my soul. You know what I mean? Now, don't get me wrong. I genuinely love the experiences I've had in my life. And I adore most of the people I've met along the way. Many of whom I would still consider friends. I don't think I would trade any of it. But if I had to do it over, I would have made a more concerted effort to connect with black folk. There are plenty of black people in all white working spaces who make it a priority to be surrounded by their people. I didn't do that. I think the sad truth was that it didn't feel like a loss. There was nothing tugging at my heart and soul saying, Ron, you need to be with more black people. I can't give you an explanation as to why that was the case. It just was what it was. But that was then. This is now. And now, I love the friendships and relationships I have with my non-black friends and family, but I also thoroughly enjoy the new connections I'm making with brothers and sisters. Over the past few years, through the writing of my soon-to-be-published book that bears the name of this podcast, and through the making of this podcast, I've learned what I briefly shared at the end of episode one, that it's never too late to be black. I don't know where this podcast will take us, but if you come along for the ride, I promise you won't be sorry. And in the immortal words of Jean-Luc Picard of the USS Enterprise D, engage. Always gotta be a black nerd at heart, y'all. Always gotta be a black nerd at heart. Kapla! The Dungeons and Durags podcast is a production of Blade Runner Media and Bonnie and Clyde Productions and is part of the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network. This episode was written, hosted, and produced by yours truly, Ron Dawson. Special thanks to my Black BFFs and podcast peeps, JD and Yolanda Cochran. No relation to Johnny. Get it out my sight. Run up on me. That's a cause for a fight. One bag in my hand, cause now I pack.
back like looking in the mirror up lifting myself music used in the show is licensed from artless as well as creative Commons songs from freemusicarchive.org if you like the show do all the podcasty things you know rate review share with your friends and family if you feel inclined to do so tell us a story about a time when you didn't feel black enough or asian enough or latin enough hell tell us a story when you didn't even feel white enough that would be a new one for me i'd love to hear it Shoot us an email at podcast at dungeonsanddurags.com. You can even send a voice memo if you like. Or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your thoughts and stories, and we just may read that on the show. You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Ronner, that's Ronner with an O, and on the gram at Blurred Ronner. I write about race, religion, creative arts, and business on Medium at rondawson.medium.com. You can follow JD on Twitter at that JD Cochran, and Yolanda is rat in a wheel with all the words separated by underscores. I tried to get her to change her Twitter handle, y'all, but she just wouldn't budge. That's it for now. Stay safe out there, and remember, having white privilege is not bad. Denying it is, and in the absence of biblical certainty, choose love. Till next time. Don't flinch. Put the work in. Beast moment, Charlene. Don't do it for the green. Don't do it to be seen. Do it because you can't just live in your dreams. Put your self esteem. Top shelf. The war is on, but you're hitting well. Just can't help these cards you were dealt. But when you arrive, that presence felt. Running supreme in your little realm. Purpose means fate when you find yourself. Keep looking to the hill, which cometh your help. Yeah, look to the hill, which cometh your help. So, as you heard in the main episode, Frederick passed the crabs in the barrel test, but he also didn't know the term online. So I just had to follow up with JD about that. Alright, so here, here's the thing I wanted to have a follow-up on. And I think I understand why you didn't do this, but I felt like for the purposes of the show, it would be worthwhile to bring up. The- Who, me? Who you what? You talking about me? I'm, well, I'm I talking about, yeah, yeah. In the oh, okay, interview okay, with okay. Frederick, when okay. he admitted that he did not know what online meant, he got okay. off so easy. Here's a di- here's a difference compared here's to the difference. shit I get from you two. Exactly. I'll give you and I'll give you no, I thought about it. I had to catch myself because I said, uh-huh. well, because First he, of all, because he went to several, UCSB. Are you gonna let me answer? Are you gonna let me? Yeah, because <laughs> that—that's tantamount to a junior college, dude. That is not freaking birthday. Oh and shit! All the saying, people going to UCSB right now, you just clown. No, no, I'm just that's, saying. He, you just equated it UCSB. Rude. It is rude. Cut that part out. That's not one. Of, I thought he went to Santa. Like, where did he go? He went, he I went to he UC went. Santa Barbara. Oh, sorry. I, I take that back. I take that back. Now I take that back. It's a four-year college. He should. And I don't know if they have black press there. And he should catch him heat for that because that, that would apply. But mm-hmm. I would say this. Yes. Frederick didn't cut. And this is a videographer. He didn't come to me saying, hey, I'm going to go undercover. I'm going <laughs> to do a documentary on Pledge for Black Frat. <laughs> it's a whole different thing if you are the person say, hey, I'm going to join the military. What does soldier mean? It's like, oh, come on. I man. disagree. I would have clowned his ass if I was on because. Uh, I, did I did say, say he was what we clowned ron on is being black and not yes, having heard yes. that. not that he went to a school whether it had a black frat there or not blah 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 right. it was just and now I'm just in the of, red kool-aid jump on over to the purple now you guys are both muted <laughs> jd you're muted i can't hear you
JDS. Why do you keep turning me off? Well, because you guys were muting. You guys were echoing over each other. You keep. Now, Mr. Correct All, that's the way you do name. This nigga shut me off and complained on you. Interesting. Wait, say it again. I'm saying you cut me off and then you're complaining that I'm mute. I wasn't complaining. JD, I wasn't complaining. I was. What were you doing? You said JD, you're you're on mute. You're that's on not complaining. That's not complaining. Okay, that's... you're correct. JD, correct yourself because you're not in proper formation right now. No. I need you to go. But you muted me. I had to because you guys were echoing over each other. Okay. Well, then can't you? Uh, if you can mute me, can you no, unmute me? I can't. Oh, I can only hit. It's, that's how it works. It says you can ask the person to unmute. Very telling. Oh yeah, yeah, that's very telling. But that's all right. Great. Okay. So you just muted nigga and be like, the, oh JD, let me just correct you for a second. You're muted right the, now. Like, yeah, nigga, because you keep the woman from Santa Clarita. Go ahead. Who wasn't at the meeting? Okay. I don't understand why we have this sound problem that we used to not have. So, okay. Yeah, all right. Go back to the topic. Go back to the topic. No, that's dumb. No, go back to the topic. No, but Yolanda, I want to hear your point. You were saying you would have clowned him if you were there. We, I didn't get to hear what you were no, saying. No, let him finish his. Let's let him finish his. I don't want her to comment on it. And... <laughs> um, dear listener, if you're hearing this, um, what you're not hearing is the fact that JD's talking, but he's muted. Did you? Miss... <laughs> Quit, Quit fucking muted. You keep muting me and then complain. I don't have the mute button the thing that shows that I get muted. You, you keep muting me and then, and then start commenting you, that I'm muted. No. Stop muting me. You were already muted. No, I unmuted it and then here it goes muted again. You're, anyway, so you're unmuted. I just now. unmuted it like a minute ago and then now I'm muted again. Nigga, am I still muted? <laughs> Quit muting me. Damn. I'm only muting now, you when you guys are talking over each other in the echo okay. I'm not, but Ron, that mute, it goes away. So I don't know that I'm muted. It disappears. I understand that. And so okay. that's, why, that's why I verbally tell you, you can now. Then you know what you, know what you need to do, nigga? I need you to get a little sign that you can hold up next to your head and say, unmute. Yeah. So when I, when I hold this up, that means unmute. Yeah. Okay. And when I hold this up, that means quit <laughs> muting me. He's holding up his middle finger. Okay. Yeah. Go ahead. What Finish I'm your saying, point. Yeah. If I can, for the yes, empty please. of time now. Please. When he said that, I looked at him. I said, oh, Frederick, I'm starting to, you catch a little side off from me. And I said some weird little comment, but I didn't go in him like I went on you because he is our guest. He's the, you are the host. And it wasn't even, he wasn't even presenting me a business plan or business model about going undercover for pledging a black frat. He just said he didn't know about it. And I still gave him a little grief, but I didn't want to True. dig all up into him because he's okay. the guest. That's but I didn't let point. it just go over my head. I didn't let it just fly over my head and True. I didn't say anything. And I would I would argue that Yolanda probably would have been tame too. I'm not saying she wouldn't have said anything, but I'm not going to sit there and be the half hour comedy show slamming <laughs> Frederick because he doesn't know what pledging is. But I did look, I did say a comment. You, did I not? You did. Yeah. Okay. Did. So now, so now that you misled Yolanda and said, I told you that just fly over and, and was oblivious to it. Let's now we can she, proceed. Let's hear what she, well, I want to hear what she was going to say. So she can unmute herself and you can mute. I would have said, dude, how do you not know that? And you should also know, like, this is an interesting topic because according to JD's mom, you need to re-edit the podcast because we were too hard on you. <laughs> that's, ridiculous. That's my white mother. My white mother said that. So if we have an opportunity to re-edit, it should be redone because JD yeah. and I were outside of the box and have ruined it because we were she too hard on you. 
trying to take over his own podcast. <laughs> Why are you clowning him so much? <laughs> you gotta unmute. Nigga, if I... I'm holding up the sign. Uh, the scene is getting crowded. I'm a robber always. I don't need your 